My name is Jackie Lamport. Today is Monday, November 15th. Welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast. Today on the show. Well, I think one of the boldest ideas in the budget is the notion of a community reconciliation levy. Um, and I really hope that that council has the courage to move ahead with that. Uh, we'll see what the public engagement brings. The Victoria Council is in the final stages of the 2022 budget. For Municipal Monday, we're joined by Mayor Lisa Helps to get an overview of what's being proposed and how Victorians can make their voices heard before it becomes official. Today's Capital Daily Podcast is brought to you by the Bay Centre Shopping Centre, now hosting Victoria's largest indoor living forest featuring an interactive light tunnel. The Bay Centre's Winter Wonderland is free and open daily for self-guided tours and Instagrammable moments. Visit thebaycentre.ca for more. Mayor Helps, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Okay, so first, this is your third pandemic budget. How is it different from 2020 and 2021? Well, hopefully now uh, we're coming out of the pandemic. All of the signs seem to be pointing in that direction. Um, we are, it, 2020 was just devastating. 2021 was equally devastating with uh, parking revenues down, conference center revenues down, our businesses really struggling. Uh, and I think, you know, this, the signs of recovery are there. So there's a, there's a bit of optimism on the horizon, but still we're in a difficult position because we're, we're still in a pandemic situation um, economically, uh, yet we need to make sure we're investing in recovery at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that seems to be one of the, I mean, the primary struggle of this budget is funding all of these things to help us get out of the pandemic and also just general needs in the city, and but also finding the money to fund that. So uh, I see that you are proposing, the council is proposing um, a property tax increase. Can you maybe talk about that? Yeah, well, generally every year we, we do increase property taxes somewhat. Um, in 2020, we didn't at all because of the um, the pandemic situation. Then 2021, uh, to support our businesses, we actually reduced business property taxes, which is very unusual. Like I can't think of a time in the history of the city, maybe in the Great Depression, uh, that that's happened. Um, but but that's not sustainable. Uh, so the, the base budget, the, the core budget, just to continue delivering the services that we are delivering, um, there's a proposed 3.25% uh, increase, and that's to accommodate things like um, the cost of supplies, uh, the cost of labor, uh, all of the things that the private sector faces in terms of cost cost escalation. Um, but that's just the base budget. And so if we want to do some of the things that are really, I think, necessary to set us up for the future, uh, the tax increase is going to be even more than 3.25%. Now, generally, since I've been mayor, um, we've kept taxes uh, below 3%. Um, tax increase below 3% for most years. Okay. The 2022 budget shows that uh, there was a revenue of about uh, $265 million, and 62% of that is taxation. In non-COVID years, uh, does that stream of revenue typically account for less percentage-wise? I know that you mentioned parking and conferences and such. Uh, maybe a little bit less, um, but property taxes are the main source of revenue. Um, conference center fees and uh, parking revenues are another. And then all of our utilities are funded by user fees. So garbage is a utility, stormwater is a utility, um, water is a utility. So those things are funded by user fees that basically cover the, the service. But I mean, the property tax system in itself is is a big problem. Um, it's the only way that local governments have, or the main way that local governments 
Indians have to raise revenue. Um, but it, it it literally dates back to the 1860s when Canada was mm-hmm. formed. And obviously cities are really different from then till now. Actually, in your Times Colonist op-ed this weekend, you stated it would be great if cities got 1% of the provincial sales tax generated in their jurisdiction on an annual basis. Uh, is this something that you have mentioned uh, to any of the provincial representatives or, or brought up before? It's one of the things that the BC Urban Mayor's Caucus has floated with the provincial government. So the BC Urban Mayor's Caucus is a, a group of 13 mayors across urban British Columbia, and I co-chair it with uh, with Colin Bazran, who's the mayor of Kelowna. And we, ha- we uh, right before the last provincial election, uh, created a roadmap or a blueprint for BC's urban future. And there's there's four areas of uh, kind of advocacy in there. And one of them is a new fiscal relationship for local governments. And so we don't specifically ask for 1% of PST, but we do ask for the government, the provincial government, to get a bit more creative in 21st century uh, about how local governments are funded, especially since we're being asked to take on really big issues like homelessness and climate change. So um, I, I think that that's a really easy one for the province. If you know, you don't have to develop new taxes, you don't have to develop new uh, procedures. Um, and in that way, um, cities would be able to um, get basically a return on, on the investment that we're making in, in growing our local economies. Okay, before I move on from that, though, do you think, uh, realistically, do you think that that's something that could happen within the next maybe 5, 10, 20 years? Absolutely. I think I think it's it's a really I know that there are conversations afoot to look at how municipalities are funded and kind of modernizing the, the property tax system. One percent of the PST is probably the the easiest low hanging fruit. The PST is collected. Um, it's probably broken down by jurisdiction. So I think one percent of the PST is a really easy way to make sure that local governments have the funding they need um, without having to come up with a whole bunch of new complex formulas or programs. I think it would be easy for the provincial government and definitely easy for local governments. Okay. Let's talk about businesses. Um, as you mentioned, the uh, city helped out businesses in the, in the past couple of years by reducing some of the business taxes. That's by 2%. Um, and you argue that that's not a sustainable approach. So are taxes going to go back up for businesses? Yes, pro- property taxes will go back up. Generally, I mean, property. Every year we set the property tax rate, and then we set the property tax, I guess, ratio, um, the division of property taxes between residents and businesses. One of the things that I think very few people realize is that businesses pay more than three times the amount of property taxes that residences do. So, for every one dollar in in taxes that a homeowner pays, a business owner pays maybe three dollars and forty to $3.50. So um, we need to be really careful not to, we, we, we can't put too much of a tax burden on, on homeowners, of course, because they don't have ways to raise revenue. But but I think we need to be really uh, careful about um, how much we, we put uh, onto the businesses. So that's a discussion that council will need to have. There's the kind of the general increase, and then there's the the share paid by business compared to the share paid by um, by residences. And that's a separate decision that we'll need to make uh, in, in April. April this or 2022. Okay. Um, Council is also considering additional resources for the business ambassador to continue to support startups and expansions. What additional resources are you referring to? 
Uh, basically another position. So the business hub at City Hall opened in 2015 and we have one business ambassador and her time was honestly for the last two years taken over by patios, like which was great. Like that was what was necessary. But now what we're starting to see with economic recovery is there are a lot of new businesses wanting to open in Victoria, um, businesses relocating to Victoria. So she can't do all of the patios, like keep those running and also help new businesses uh, get started or, or businesses to relocate to Victoria and her job is really interesting it would be like it would be an awesome job to have because you know she'll get a call from a local business like hey I want to move downtown can you help me find a spot or like hey I'm thinking of moving my business from Calgary to Victoria can you help me or like a really young startup like hey I don't know how to get a business license can you help me and and we want to be able to say yes to all those things so that's yeah basically Mm -hmm. it's to have another business ambassador in the business hub. Something that is uh, sure to have a lot of eyes, given the uh, intensity of the issue, uh, is climate action funding. And I understand that the goal of the council is to be internationally recognized for your climate approach. Um, So the 2022 budget, it's allocating millions uh, to climate action. What specifics can you give us? Um, some really exciting specifics. So one of the things that we know that that reduces emissions is the transformation of the uh, vehicle fleet to electric, both the city's fleet and community uh, vehicles. So this year we're proposing to invest around $5 million in beginning to uh, electrify the city's fleet, but also installing dozens of electric charging stations around the city. Um, we uh, approved an electric vehicle strategy probably about two months ago and it's to I think over the next five years we're going to install something like maybe 110 maybe even more I can't remember the specifics but basically um, people who uh, live in multi-unit residential buildings don't necessarily have an opportunity to plug in their cars at home and so we want to make sure that there are charging stations uh, in and around the public realm so that's going to be a big expansion of that program this year Um, lots of electric vehicle charging stations and then the other big climate action investment is about 13 million dollars in building out the rest of the bike network. There's also a task uh, set to uh, create a climate champion program. How does that play into this or is this is this, is that separate? That actually that's in the strategic plan. And I, I yeah. don't know that uh, that got started right before COVID. Like literally we launched it on January 1st of 2020. We had three or four awesome meetings with a bunch of climate champions and then COVID hit. So yeah. I think that's now more um, kind of operationalized with our, our uh, climate staff. And they're working with citizens on a whole bunch of different projects from single use items to the uh, adaptation plan. So I think the climate change or climate champions programs kind of morphed a little bit. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. Um, Another pressing issue, one of the most talked about things in the city and across the nation is housing affordability. Um, And I know that we've spoken a lot and you have mentioned uh, multiple times that housing really is largely a provincial issue. Um, But you are trying to take on some of the responsibilities that you can at a municipal level for this budget. Um, I did see that there is uh, an additional quarter million dollars to accelerate the implementation of the Victoria housing strategy. What kind of things would that money go toward? Um, a number of things. Uh, one of the things that we are working on or that that money will go towards is incentivizing family sized units. Um, you know, right now we don't have a incentive policy to, to have two and three bedroom units built for families. Uh, also working on accessible housing. So making sure that there are a number of units that are built potentially in every building or again with an incentive program for people who have uh, accessibility challenges. So those are two big projects. Another big project that's going to be happening in um, 2022 is 
is rental incentives more generally. There are lots of other cities who are way ahead of Victoria in terms of incentivizing rental development so that there's more rentals built than condos. Mm-hmm. Um, there are really good examples, like for example, in New Westminster, um, there's a density bonus program. So if you're building um, four stories, you can do condo, but if you want to build rental, you can do six stories without having to have a density bonus um, uh, contribution. So th- that's a really big and really easy one. Um, in other places like Surrey, uh, for rental buildings, development cost charges, they can pay them over a three-year period rather than all at once. So these these things all help um, getting more rental built. So staff are going to be working on a, a program for that. And then also um, some additional funding to support uh, existing renters. So through the tenant planner and uh, working with this awesome organization out of Toronto called The Shift, um, making sure that the tenants' rights are protected um, as, as, you know, as, as development happens and as this new provincial legislation on um, uh, rent evictions rolls out. So those are some of the things. The, the city also does have a, an issue with people falling through the cracks uh, from the lack of affordable housing or other issues that cause people to end up unhoused. So council is looking to help that out by funding the Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness and also Our Place to extend their hours. Uh, what impact do you expect this to have? Um, in addition to those two things, the city is also proposing for the first time ever to have our own person at City Hall who works explicitly on homelessness. We've got a lot of people working on housing, but no one working on homelessness. So those are the three big things. Um, the Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness is an amazing organization and they are responsible. So they're about 4% of the population of, of our region is Indigenous, but about 36% of our homeless population in the region is Indigenous. And so there's a disproportionate number of people um, who are Indigenous and, and homeless because of colonization, because of residential schools, all of those things. So providing stable core funding to the Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness will allow it to carry out its work. And they do amazing work from culturally supportive housing to Indigenous informed harm reduction and they're making a real difference already in Indigenous people's lives in terms of people who are homeless and, and getting them off the street and stably housed but they simply need more resources because they're, um, they've got a lot of work to do. Was that something that was funded before and this is additional or is that something that's new? This would be new funding. Okay okay but the Our Place funding would be uh, additional funding to what was done before. The Our Place funding, we've been funding Our Place in a really ad hoc way over the past few years to stay open later and to, to help uh, have a place for people to store their belongings. And so basically that would just make, it, it, if it goes through this year, it would make permanent what's been kind of ad hoc. You know, every year we say, oh, should we give money to Our Place? Okay, yeah, let's do it. And this would kind of make it permanent. Let's talk about VicPD funding. VicPD accounts for about 24% of the operating budget, and for context, the next highest expenditures are 10%. Now, obviously, the police require a lot of money to operate between staff and equipment uh, and all the other resources that they require. So can you just talk a bit about that and explain why to folks? Because I know it's a quite divisive topic, and it would be nice if people understood how that funding works and, and why it takes as much as it does. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and troubling to me that it's such a divisive topic because I don't think it needs to be. And, and I think part of it is is um, kind of different ideas about public safety. Everyone defines public safety differently. And I don't think that everyone thinks that the police is, are the only way to achieve public safety. But also, without the police, the public safety is not possible. And so public safety, to me, is 
is where everybody in the community, regardless of their economic status, their race status, their housing status, feels safe and secure. And like that can't only be VicPD's job, but also um, VicPD and I, you know, I'm, I'm the co-chair of the police board. So I have a, a pretty intimate knowledge of all the things that, that they have to work on. You know, there's things like seniors being defrauded by cybercrime. There's um, there's hate crimes. There's uh, like family violence, domestic violence, like all of all of these things that the police need to work on. And then on top of that, and this is this is, I think, the conversation that we really need to have. The police, not just in Victoria, but across the country, are spending way too much time um, dealing with health issues, with mental health, with substance use, with sheltering. And if the police didn't have to do those things because there were a proper and adequate healthcare system in place, um, we'd be having a different conversation. But the reality is we're not. And, uh, you know, we the city of Victoria has partnered with the Canadian Mental Health Association to work on an alternative response program, peer-assisted um, community uh, response, which I'm really excited about. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, and also there's still need for, for police. And so um, I, I think that the problem with the community dialogue around it is it's this notion of either or, um, which I think is really unhelpful. So yeah, there's a, a request for additional police resources and, and most of them are because of downloading. Three are for um, peer or co-responder teams. So a police officer in plain clothes to go with a psychiatric nurse. Again, if we had a proper healthcare system, that wouldn't be necessary. Um, an ACT officer, uh, so again, that's assertive community treatment, police working with um, with the health authority. Again, if we had proper places for people to live who had complex needs, uh, some of those things wouldn't be necessary. So I'm very supportive of the request for the police budget, but it doesn't mean that I think I don't think we have other work to do in the community as well. Yeah. Yeah. And public safety is a growing concern. And I mean, some people have gone as far to say that we're in a public safety crisis. Uh, Vic PD Chief Delmanic has spoken publicly about the lack of adequate staffing for police. Um, and not to mention there's low morale uh, among officers given the cultural shift. So with that in mind, is is the budget taking into consideration any of this? Um, uh, well, I think the budget's taking into consideration what the police board feels is necessary to provide adequate and effective policing for Esquimalt and Victoria for uh, 2022. Um, I think that, you know, the morale issue is um, something that we need to work through as a community. Uh, and again, it's part of the divisive tone that is that's not really helping the morale issue because uh, police officers are, are necessary and other communities support workers are necessary and mental health care is necessary and street nurses are necessary. Um, it's not that one group is more necessary than the other. And, and part of what really breaks my heart in terms of how we've positioned this as a community is it's this either or rather than how can we all work together to make sure that those who are out there on our streets in particular, who are most vulnerable, get the care they need. And the police would be the first to say that they're not best positioned to provide that care. But in the absence of anyone else doing it, they're, they're there doing it. So I, I really think that we can solve the morale issue, not with necessarily throwing more money at policing, um, although I think that the police budget will will help with uh, with some of the, the gaps that we're seeing out there. But the, the, the key to morale is is kind of changing the tone in the conversation as a community to make mm -hmm. it more inclusive of everyone. 
Okay. Similar to Vic PD, bylaw officers have uh, been largely occupied with public safety issues in parks and on streets um, and the encampments. Um, they estimate that about 80% of their calls were related to that. So what's in the budget for the bylaw department? Any increases or additional resources? Yeah, there is a request for um, about a million dollars additional support for bylaw. Um, the, the, this is really interesting, actually, when I heard this. Like part of, part of why bylaw is so busy is because a lot of people are, are working at home and have been working at home through the pandemic and things that might not annoy them when they're going to the office every day, like their neighbor's heat pump or, you know, there've been way more phone calls from from residents uh, kind of complaining mm-hmm. about um neighbors or street like issues on their street or that then then pre-pandemic and and so that takes a lot so if bylaws doing 80 percent of their time on you know making sure that the things are okay on the streets then they don't have time to respond to those citizen calls and so it's the bylaw piece is really to kind of backfill some of the uh the gaps in the in the system mm-hmm. okay and this is um obviously we cannot predict the future um but we hopefully are going into a post-pandemic world. And if a lot of these uh, increase, the increase of duties and responsibilities is because of the pandemic, could the budget maybe reflect what we've experienced and not what we are going to experience? Absolutely. Um, and, and we've asked, we asked that question during the um, the council meetings with respect to the budget, if there, if bylaw, if the additional bylaw that we're hiring are no longer necessary two or three years from now, or the additional park staff are no longer necessary, you know, how, how do we manage that? How do we decrease the budget? And there, there are lots of ways, particularly through retirements or resignations, you know, if somebody retires or leaves, you simply just don't re- replace them. And then that brings the budget back down. So our staff are really alive to the issue that, yeah, we're, we're basically still dealing with some of the things that are the fallout of the pandemic. And as you say, hopefully this won't go on forever. Uh, and then there are ways to scale back after that. Council is also considering anti-racism and reconciliation training for city staff. Would that include Vic PD or bylaw officers? Yeah, well, Vic PD already actually does a lot of anti-stigma and anti-racism training. Um, they do work with the Coalition to End Homelessness, the Stamp Out Stigma um, uh, program. So I think Vic PD probably is a little bit ahead of city staff in terms of okay. anti-racism and reconciliation training. The, the police also work really closely with the Aboriginal Coalition to End Homelessness. Um, so I, I would say the police are a little bit ahead in that regard. But yes, um, anti-racism and reconciliation would be all city staff, uh, including bylaw, also including council. Okay. And for Vic PD specifically, council is also considering a cultural liaison officer. Um, is that factored into this new budget or is that uh, something that's still being considered? Uh, that's one of the supplementary requests for 2022. So that would be a new position. And that's something that's really come up through Vic PD's work with diverse communities. So whether the Sikh community or the Muslim community or the Indigenous community, um, there's I think there's need to uh, certainly hire more people at VicPD from those communities, but also to have somebody at VicPD whose job it is solely is to do outreach and, and work with those communities. So there's there's quite a bit of support, I think, for that position from, um, from various diverse communities. And so I, I hope that council will fund it. I think that'll be a really great opportunity for VicPD to, um, in some ways, institutionalize some of the work it's been doing towards uh, anti-racism and, and discrimination. Is there anything in the budget that you are particularly excited about that you wanted to mention? 
Well, I think one of the boldest ideas in the budget is the notion of a community reconciliation levy. Um, and I really hope that that council has the courage to move ahead with that. Uh, we'll see what the public engagement brings. But, you know, some of the opposition is like, well, in you know, 20 years, the nations are going to be getting millions of dollars. Yes, that is absolutely the idea that as the city grows over the next two decades or three decades, that a small portion of that 15% of the new assessed revenue every year will go to the Songhees and Esquimalt nations. And so it, it is, a, it's a big, bold idea. Um, and so I, I'm really excited about that because it, it sets the, the table for the future in a sense that, you know, Another council would need to reverse the decision, uh, which I think would be a very difficult one to do. So I know that one's, you know, caused a lot of conversation and, and uh, I don't want to say controversy because I think there's a lot of support for it as well. Um, but to me, that's that's a that's a, a bold move that, you know, every every meeting at the beginning of every council meeting, we always say we acknowledge that we're on the homelands of the Lekwungen speaking people. Um, and that's a really important thing to do. But I think reconciliation, um, even at the local level, needs to go beyond just words. Mm -hmm. Can you just give a very basic explanation of how that would work? Sure. So every year, um, the city has new buildings built. And as those new buildings are built, they that adds basically to the number of um, property portfolios that are in the city. Uh, and so when those new buildings are are built and, and, and open up, the city gets what's called new assessed revenue. So um, new property tax revenue over and above what was there before the new building was built. That's pretty straightforward. And, and that is money that the city gets every year. So say one year, there's like $800,000 worth of new buildings in 2022 we get $800,000 in 2023 those buildings are still there so we get that $800,000 again plus say there's another $600,000 of new assessed revenue so then you know in 2023 we'd get the 800,000 from 2022 as well as the 600,000 from 2023 and so on it just it's 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 cumulative revenue and so the idea is that um, each year 15% of the new assessed revenue would go uh, as an unconditional grant to the Songhees and Esquimalt nations. And so that means each year they would get 15% of whatever the new assessed revenue is. Okay. We've talked about a lot and there's a lot more that we could talk about, um, but it, we don't really don't have time to do everything. So for listeners who do want to see more specifics or more things that they were interested in hearing that they may not have, um, where can they find this information? Engage.victoria.ca. Uh, it's a, a staff have done a great job. So engage.victoria.ca, you can do the survey, you can do a deep dive and look at all 700 pages. You can look at the 10 page summary. You can watch a video. There's a whole lot of ways to find out what's being proposed for 2022. Uh, and we're also having a town hall uh, Wednesday night, 17th of November at 6.30 p.m. And people can phone in and watch and ask questions and send us videos. So there's lots of ways to get involved in the conversation. Okay, and then what's the process after that? When does this uh, become official? Uh, council will get a roll-up of all the public feedback in December. Uh, and then in January, we've got 28 hours worth of meetings to go through it all. Uh, and then uh, in, in January, we'll begin to make some decisions. Okay, awesome. Lisa, thank you so much again. You're welcome. Take care. If you want to help support Capital Daily's local journalism and connect your business with our engaged and curious Greater Victoria audience of over 50,000, you can email our partnerships team at advertising at capitaldaily.ca.
Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review and also subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. We post new shows every Monday to Friday. My name is Jackie Lamport. This is the Capital Daily Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow.